Welcome to EduBlether, a podcast discussing the issues in Scottish education. In this episode, we bring you an election special, focusing on what the political parties are promising for Scottish education. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at EduBlether, and you can also read our blog at eduBlether.wordpress.com. Now, you'll notice that Jace has been demoted to phoning in his <laughs> EduBlether performance. Now, um, literally, he used to do that just metaphorically, but now he is actually having to phone in. We're so busy. I know, and hopefully the sound quality is okay. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. The idea behind it is that if we can do it this way, then we'll be able to create more of our fascinating content for you listeners. <laughs> Definitely. We chuckle there. <laughs> so how have you been, Jude? What have you been up to? Oh, I've been great. I, f- I find the answer to this question is always, oh, I'm wonderful, thanks, but just very, very busy. Do you know? I'm just yeah, really, yeah. very busy a lot of the time. One of the main things I'm working on at the moment, um, getting really excited about this, actually, um, working a lot on digital learning and looking at how we can use digital learning to really invigorate learning, and but actually doing that at that uh, an authority level, so working with the authority, um, with lots of people, we're trying to have a meeting where we're inviting lots of people from the council to come around the table and just sit and think about what can we do to really make digital learning wonderful. Uh, and it's Super. just such, yeah, it's a really nice, and we've got about thirty people that have signed up to the task, which is brilliant. That are giving up their own time to come and sit around and talk about what they do, why they think digital learning is exciting and important, and what we can all do together to help each other get a consistent level across the authority. And I'm, I'm really, really Sounds excited. Sounds good. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. So if um, you've just made me think there, actually, I'm organising a conference at work, and I wonder if you or one of your links would want to come and present at it. In yeah. February, one of the inset days, focusing on innovation in learning and teaching. Um, and obviously, digital technology is a big part of that. That's amazing. I'm going to take that to my meeting and say that I've already booked as a gig. <laughs> yeah. 12th of February. <laughs> That's great. And what about you? You're, you're getting on a jet plane tomorrow. I am, yeah. I'm really excited, actually. So I've been involved, or been asked to be involved, in Education Scotland's um study visit focusing on middle leadership and it's a three nations it sounds like something out of harry potter (laughs) and it's like the tri-wizard tournament and so it's three nations wales scotland and ireland are getting together to talk about middle leadership and the importance of that so i've had some pre-reading um tonight and i'm going to be bringing a very special episode of edu weather where i'm going to just kind of chart my reflections via an episode of our podcast so that'll be cool wow that sounds exciting i'm looking forward to hearing a lot more about that yeah so in the news then what has been happening you ask well uh, if you haven't noticed we have an election don't we we do have an election coming up how very very exciting yes that do we is a mean word exciting yeah we mean exciting i think i think it is exciting it is yeah 12th of december then we'll see 650 mps elected and in this episode we're actually going to focus in on education and what the priorities are and what each of the political parties are promising if they 
are swept to power. Yeah, and this so, so that'll be quite exciting. Comes with a considerable health warning. Jace and I used to <laughs> uh, car share when we both worked in Stirling, and we used to drive up the road. And I would say about ninety eight percent of our conversations. <laughs> Were, were blazing arguments about politics and about what it means. And it was always very friendly, and we always ended up well, talking to each other. Well, I think we fell out a few times. <laughs> we did but... fall out at, at least seven times that week. And it was, no, it was, a, it was, I think what we're trying to say here is, this is going to be a heated thing. We're going to disagree on things. You are going to disagree with it. That's the whole nature of this debate. That is us celebrating in our democratic right here. So we could try and sort of sterilise this and make it just a presentation of the facts, but that wouldn't be exciting, would it? You want to see me and Jason have a (laughs) punch-up? Well, we'll do our best to uh, remain civilised. But, yeah, a huge health warning here. And I guess that begs the question as to should teachers be apolitical or should they openly discuss their views on on policies? What do you think? So I'm I am like really clear with this in my head and it's been a question that I suppose is it's it's a real significant question for teachers to ask because when you are in a position of power, you are able to manipulate people and make them think a certain way and people look up to you as a role model. So I think for certain things like religion and politics, it's a question that you have to ask, isn't it? Should, uh-huh. How much of myself should I put forward? But for me, I think that I'm kind of challenging the, the assumption in the question that if you take yourself out of it and not mention anything about politics, that in itself is a political statement. That in itself is accepting the status quo, accepting how things are, and just saying, well, that's suggesting that there is a normal, that there is a that there is a neutral zone. There isn't. So you have to make yeah. a decision. You have to decide. And you have to say, this is me and this is what I think. I think you have to be a skilled practitioner to make sure that you're not ramming that down people's throats and making, yeah. making it that they can challenge you and that's what I would always encourage but I think and you have to come out and nail your colours to the mast yeah and I, I do agree with that to an extent but I do think there is a real fine line that you know you mentioned that power play there that if teachers and they undoubtedly are in a huge powerful position to influence to motivate to encourage and my worry is if if our colleagues didn't get that quite right, then potentially, if we were talking about political issues all of the time, particularly when it comes to big constitutional issues, Mm. um, that we end up severely influencing young people because they see that kind of power play and they see us as that kind of authority figure. So I think there is a real danger that that we could potentially overstep the mark, but as as, as I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. By not saying anything, we're almost one. We could be saying actually politics isn't important, and it's yeah. not important to have your view and your say. And actually, I don't agree with that. I think it is important that we we speak our mind and that we are actively involved in the political process because. Education is hugely affected by politics, but so is everything in our society. So, yeah, I think with a huge health warning that we need to be really careful to tread that line. Um, 
And that is tricky. But I think, I think. Like, like with anything, you wouldn't ever want to just change someone's mind to your way of thinking. You would want to stimulate thought. And that that's all that you, I think, should or could be doing as any political activist, as any kind of responsible citizen. It's not about changing people's minds to say this is what you, you need to think the way I'm thinking. It's just about getting them to question. And that's a really skilled job and that's part of what we do as teachers anyway. It is, but I think <laughs> it'll not surprise you that I disagree that actually <laughs> I think some political um, commentators but also activists don't quite subscribe to your view of just posing questions, Jude. True. I think quite a lot of people are and you see that on social media, are ramming it down people's thoughts. And actually, there's a real danger that we become intolerant of other people's views in this current climate, particularly on social media. So I think, whilst I agree with you, that's in an ideal world how things should be. Unfortunately, our current climate of political engagement and discussion is not playing out like that. But as, so, again, and I'm sorry, but because this is such an interesting <laughs> question, though, that I think as soon as you sign up to be a teacher, you have made, a, like, it's a political decision to focus so heavily on social justice. Therefore, we are contractually obliged to be political yeah that's an, that's an interesting point because obviously part of the values it's in the standards yeah. that we're we're you know we're looking for social justice that's at the heart of the scottish education system so i can see where you're saying there yeah yeah i can i totally see that but so yeah it's a difficult question and i'm glad we started with a nice easy one to get us into this <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on then to see what the political parties are saying about scottish education yeah. And there's a really handy um, site on the BBC uh, website that actually breaks down everything for you by choosing a different nation and uh, showing you what the political parties are saying about that chosen issue. And I should just say a wee caveat here. Although Scottish education is devolved to the Scottish Parliament and the next election for that is not till 2021, in this current general election the parties are talking about devolved issues. So we're going to focus then on what it means for Scottish education. So they are devolved issues. They're not necessarily up for grabs in this election, but the parties are talking about it. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. They're setting their stall out because it's still a political thing that they have to stay true to their values and beliefs. So as much as it is a devolved issue and there might not be direct impact actually these parties are saying this is what we stand for this is our vision moving forward so as much as it is separate it's also so intertwined that it's still relevant for us to discuss yeah so go on then pick a party name a party and i'll tell you what they think about scottish education let's go for let's 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 start with the conservatives they're okay they're, they're in power at the moment Okay, so the Scottish Conservatives, their campaign points, so they've got four campaign points, main things in this. So make the case for reforms to comprehensive, one-size-fits-all school model in Scotland. Um, They've also wanted a broader range of government-funded but independently-run schools, Mm. a focus on traditional subjects and core knowledge, and they also want to reform the National Four qualifications. 
really interesting stuff there. Interesting. Um, I mean, that top bullet point, making the case for reforms to the kind of presumption to mainstream, I suppose, is what they're saying, yeah. you know, that one size fits all. And that's going to be, I mean, that's going to score them some massive political points there. Yeah, because we've obviously seen the review of additional support needs. The Scottish government have put that in at the moment, that clearly resourcing additional support needs is a key um, issue in Scottish education. So they're looking at that. One size fits all. I mean, we've had kind of mainstream presumption to mainstream, the whole inclusion agenda. Um, but make the case. What does that mean then? <laughs> yeah. What are the reforms? That's what I would be asking. What What is their answer to this? Is, yeah. is the question. I'm not sure it's clear. Like, I guess we've not seen the party manifestos yet, but what are they proposing? Are we going back to where we have... Um, you know, different types of schools that young people yeah, go to. Grammar schools. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's... And I think this is the thing that, for me, with the whole occlusion, inclusion debate, I think that as soon as you start to separate things, then you're drawing lines, and I think, yes, it's messy, and it's bloody, and it's not very nice, but actually, that is the way it works. You cannot put in rigid lines and being able to sort of compartmentalise things. So it'll be interesting to see what their case for that is. What yeah. reforms are they proposing? Mm-hmm. I guess part of the reform is probably the, the broader range of government-funded but independently run schools. So is that the, the only thing I can think around that? Is that around the empowerment agenda? And is that removing local authorities from control? So that the government are directly funding a wee bit like um, the school in Glasgow. What's the name of the school in Glasgow that's directly funded? Oh, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. It's the top school in Scotland. What? Oh, wow. Can't even think. Um, don't know. But, yeah, I think it's, it, it seems like that's exactly what they're doing. And it's no surprise to, to know that the Conservatives would be looking at some form of privatisation, you know, and I know it's not private schooling there and it's government funded, but that the the ethos behind that it's it's the free market. It's the you're in charge, you do what you're doing and whether you fail or not will depend on 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 you and the success of, of you as an individual, do you know? Yeah. And I guess that that's what they're basing it on, but they're not saying they're not saying that it's private education. No. No, they're not. But then the questions I suppose I have around that are for equity and equality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, but that's I suppose that's not very high on the agenda for the conservatives. No. So the school I was talking about, and I can't believe I forgot it, was the Jordan Hill School in Glasgow. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. So Jordan Hill is a publicly um, funded school directly funded from the Scottish government. And it will be no surprise to you that it's the top school in Scotland. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, if you... measures, yeah. Yeah, and that's it. The whole league tables thing comes into question again. I don't know if you saw The Sun produced another league table. Oh, no, I Um, missed that. Yeah, it did for secondary schools um, just last week or something like that. Right. And again, no surprise to you, that it's linked directly with with affluence. And if you look at the list, yeah. top to bottom, it, it's the poverty-related attainment gap. If you so, put their, their kind of mean average SIMD alongside that, you would mm-hmm. go in, it would be fairly accurate, I would say. Yeah. So I, I don't know what they're trying to prove there, apart from just saying, 
you know, that poverty-related payment gap still exists. But hey, <laughs> yeah. that's newspapers for you, I guess. Um, so the the other points they wanted to do was they wanted to focus on much more traditional subjects and core knowledge mm. and also reform the national four qualification. So a very subject uh, secondary focus. Um, and my kind of thoughts on that, that are that Undoubtedly, there has been a wee bit of chat in, in education about the value placed on the National Four qualification, particularly now that they've removed the the need for units to be completed at National Five um, to try and reduce workloads. Um, there's no exam for National Four qualifications, okay. um, but there is for National Five. So, rightly, people are questioning whether National Four should should have an exam or not. I, if I think about the benefits of what we had before under standard grade, where there was always a kind of safety net for young people. So you remember yourself, you sat general, and then you either sat credit or foundation. And that decision was made so that you attained it at the appropriate level. Now what's happening is teachers are having to choose the level that they think. So if you're a National 5 candidate, you'll sit National 5. And if you pass, great, you've got a qualification. If not, what you were able to do was sit National 4 and get that retrospectively through unit passes. That's not as easy anymore. Um, so I wonder if if maybe that kind of dual presentation will come back in that yeah. we had under standard grade. All very interesting in terms of the Scottish Conservatives and what they're putting forward and what they're putting their stall out in terms of saying these are our priorities moving forward. I wonder if we then look at Scottish Labour, the opposite end, and think in terms of what they're proposing. Um, yeah. They're going for scrapping of assessments for primary one pupils. And reviewing okay, yeah. these assessments at primary four, P seven, and S three, so that's the the controversial SNSAs. They're thinking about those, um, halting the teaching of three and four different levels in classes. So we can touch on that a bit in a in a second. More funding for children with additional support needs. More funding for schools to ensure the pupil equity fund paid to head teachers to help disadvantaged children is truly additional. Interesting and reforming the student support system, beginning by implementing a minimum student income of about 9,500 a year based on a £10 an hour income for 25 hours of study time each week. So that's as a kind of university level education point there. But um, interesting points from Scottish Labour. What about that first one about the SNSEs? Well, obviously that's very topical. Um the unions have been asking for primary one SNSA to be scrapped due to the pressure that's um, putting on young people to perform. Um, but the Scottish government has so far resisted that, yeah. saying that it's a, it's not a, it's not an assessment that's causing harm. It's not set in those kind of kind of setting. Um, I guess data is really really important, mm -hmm. but. Some schools I know are still, particularly in secondary school, are still doing CAT data or still looking at other types of data. So how how much value is SNAC adding? It's a I'm really, not sure. a really difficult question, I think, because it, 
when you weigh up the cost of of producing a standardized assessment of rolling mm-hmm. that out, I understand the argument behind it that we need consistency across the country. So having a nationalized assessment is a is an interesting point, but I still find that, that there is a lack of training, a lack of real understanding. A, 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 a really significant sort of big picture level about what these yeah. assessments mean, what the purpose of them is, and what we should be doing with that data moving forward. And for me, I think if 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 we know the value of assessment, and yes, it needs to be used formatively, and we need to work on that in terms of improving outcomes for learners, it just feels like it, it, a lot of importance is placed on the things that can be put on a spreadsheet or the things that we can track and the things that we can enumerate and it becomes I don't know if we're missing the point then in terms of all these other issues that we have in terms of health and well-being and individualized achievements like it's it's taken taken a lot of the focus off of these things I find yeah and I think it has to be looked at holistically and part of the picture I would hate to ever see it being used solely to determine any kind of decision that needs to be made you know about young people being put into a particular set or you know I think that would be really damaging and quite dangerous so I think if we're going to use standardized assessment I think it needs to be part of an overall picture and also ultimately it needs to be based on teacher judgment about the young person and the knowledge that deep knowledge of that young person that they have um, in front of them so ultimately all the data in the world is really helpful but Data is about knowing the young people as well. Exactly. Um, halting the teaching of three and four different levels in classes is is the point here that I, I, I don't quite understand that point, if I'm being honest. I mean, the only thing, I, I guess we should declare where this information is coming from. It's from the BBC News site. Um, and I'm guessing that that is around kind of bi-level, tri-level teaching in secondary schools, which mm. has been in the news, in particular around um, the course choice review that the Scottish Parliament were doing. And whilst I agree with that, I think that's really difficult to actually achieve because if you look at some smaller schools, the only way you can actually offer subjects and courses is if you have the numbers to do it. So if, the, if you're in a school of five, 600 pupils, and so many want to do higher, so many want to do national five, so many want to do national four, the, the choice is everyone in the same class taught by one teacher taught at the same time, yeah. or only one of those courses runs and the other options are not available. Mm. And, and maybe that is the answer, but that will mean that young people are not getting the choices and their needs are therefore not being met. There's no easy answer to that. So you can say it's not happening, but what will happen, the result of it, will be that young people will not get their choices. I think it's that's less of an issue in larger secondary schools because you have the economies of scale, don't you? Yeah, of course. So you're more likely to have more young people wanting to pick a subject. And I think the subjects we're talking about here are really the kind of smaller subjects, dare I say. I don't think maths and English and languages and sciences are really having this issue. Okay. But but if you're looking at computing science, for example, 
or um, drama where traditionally there's only one or two senior level classes that's when you end up having three or four different levels being taught in that class and it's tricky it's really tricky I mean Um, interesting from a primary perspective on that I mean that's what we do every single day all the time all the time that's that is that is what we do we frequently will have like in a in a in a primary three or a primary four class you could have children working at uh, three different levels. Do you know you could be children yeah. that are still in early, children that are working at nationally expected levels, and children that are exceeding the expectations working at second level. I think that's. But I suppose it's a it's a difficult one as part of the broad general education as yeah. compared to um, when you're working towards qualifications. But it's it's a really interesting point. I would I would like to see what Labour are proposing in terms of um, helping to combat that because lower class sizes more teachers that seems yeah. to be the way to do that but i don't know how you're gonna get the fund that yeah money and and the teachers yeah true and mm. um, so on the issue of funding then labor have also said that more funding for children with additional support needs and you can't argue with that at all that I is think. i would say currently from my perspective that is the single biggest challenge facing Scottish education at the moment, I would say. Not not, yeah. not the children with additional support needs. Funding to properly support and give them yeah. the support they need to meet their needs. And that, that is that is a very political point at the moment. It's part of EIS. It's part of the, all of the unions, their agenda at the moment. And it, it's, it's really, really hard. And it needs to be front and centre, I think, in all of these discussions at the moment about, about education. Definitely. And then linking in with that funding is more funding for schools to ensure the pupil equity fund is truly additional Mm. and is not just used to top up. And I guess that links in with the additional support needs because there is a danger that the the PEF funding or the pupil equity fund is actually just part of getting by rather than providing added value yeah I speak to colleagues from multiple schools from multiple authorities all the time that are just saying if that was to go they wouldn't be able to get by do you know if that money was just taken now it should be additional it should be and that's what the money was there for to be able to close the gap additional support for these children but if we were to take that away that the number of exclusions that would go up the num the, the attainment i would say of every other child in in the building would go down it's such a really difficult issue there and to ensure that it is truly additional i think we need to actually go back to to the drawing board on that again and actually look, yeah. at, look at additional training and additional um opportunities for school leaders to be able to think about how, how that money should be used and, and, and the ways in which it can be used to make it truly additional. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go a step further, Jude, because I, I would question, okay, it's great having additional money in the Pupil Equity Fund, but year on year it changes. Yeah. Um, and it's only for a limited period of time. So one, why is it not permanent? Yes. If, there's, if we've recognised a need as a nation, it should be permanent, yeah? Yeah. But two, I would actually be saying, well, rather than being an additional fund that needs to be managed and accounted for, why are we not just 
reviewing the funding for schools and saying, actually, the way in which we allocate funding to schools is not just based on school role, but it's also based on SIND. Yeah. And, and then you will have a little more certainty as to, you know, yeah, cause then you what you can use it for. Manage staff accordingly. You would be able yeah. to plan long term for that. And I think that yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. I think I think it's because that suggests to me that we're currently underfunding. Yeah. If we're having to top it off with a pupil equity fund, that suggests to me that we know there's an issue, but we're giving this additional money for a short period of time. Therefore, we're not funding additional support needs. Yeah. Essentially, isn't it? It is, and it becomes it becomes a political bargaining chip. I find. Yeah. And it's actually. It's a universal issue, and I think it's it's great that it's happened and that it's been brought to the front of a conversation, but it is now, it's beyond that. If we can recognise yeah. the state that we're in in terms of the attainment gap and, and how that actually, yes, we're closing that in some respects, but in some others it's remaining the same or getting worse, actually. Yeah. There, is, there is a huge part of that discussion that we've not, we're not even close to reaching a resolution with yet, I would say. No, I would agree. So what about reforming the student support system beginning by implementing a minimum student income of 9500 a year based on a £10 an hour income for 25 hours of study each week? Yeah, I think, I think this is a really interesting point. And again, it's quite uh, close to what Labour would be saying in terms of ensuring that you're not punished for wanting to go in for further education you know that there's that there's support in place that that's equal and that that's universal for everybody wanting to engage in further education i think i think it's a really important one i think that would be popular um interesting to think again all these things because i I'm not a politician and how this is funded and how this is all rolled out. In principle, I agree. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, but, I would agree too. I, um, I don't think you can dispute that. No. But it's the practicalities, I guess, and and neither one of us knows how, how that, that might works. be funded and no. taken forward, I guess. But overall, quite um, no major surprises there, really, from Scottish no. Labour. Um, a lot of things that are meeting... Meeting, the, meeting a lot of the points that we're thinking about in terms of what we're seeing as big issues in, in Scottish education at the moment. So that's, that's really interesting from Scottish Labour. Who is next? Who will we look at now? Let's look at the Scottish Liberal Democrats. So they are saying that they want to fund childcare for all two-year-olds and eventually one-year-olds. So a real commitment to early years there. Mm-hmm. And they want to expand early education. They want to protect Scottish universities from the impact of Brexit and ensure they are open to all. They oppose national testing, especially of primary ones. And they want to make the Pupil Equity Fund permanent, allowing long-term investments to be made for individual children. Mm-hmm. Some very interesting points there, isn't there? And I think, I think, firstly, interesting, the sort of opposition to... National testing. I think the similarities. Sorry, I'm dropping yeah. it first. The similarities between those very liberal views, obviously, and that, and what Labour are putting forward. So it's it's interesting to see a lot of the crossover there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's quite a quite a commitment to early education there in terms of 
opposing national testing for primary ones, expanding early education and funding childcare for for two-year-olds and eventually one-year-olds. I think that's that's a real statement of intent in terms of where they're seeing the, the and, and we've seen for a while, we've heard that, obviously, if we want to tackle poverty-related attainment gap, if we want to tackle ACEs, if we want to tackle um, making sure nurture, we have to start at the early years, don't we? Oh, 100%. The, the, and that's not to say we just do it there, but we need to start there and then work up. But There's the no good starting in secondary or primary without thinking about the early years, is it? Oh, definitely. And I think the, the, the importance there cannot be overstated. And actually, I think, I think that's wonderful that they're saying two-year-olds, one-year-olds, because actually... If we're, if we're really tracking that back, that pupil equity fund should be starting pre-birth. That's, yeah. that's the point where it's, we, we need to, to break this cycle of poverty, this mm-hmm. cycle of trauma, this cycle of adverse childhood. Because if we don't get in, and this is why I get quite um, disengaged with the pupil equity fund, because I think, yes, it's wonderful that the money's coming in, and we've discussed that, actually, it is partly just reflecting the fact that we're underfunded but that money would be so much better utilized at a community level not just as the statutory service that see the children every single day it should actually be how do we engage parents before they even become parents how do we increase education yeah and i i understand it's a again it's a holistic picture but i think the the statement of intent here from scottish liberal democrats is 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 quite um, impressive, I would be saying, actually, in terms of what yeah. we're putting forward for early years education, definitely. And also, I mean, also the, the equity fund being permanent, allowing yeah. longer-term investments. So clearly there's a recognition there about that stability that is needed to fund education. Um, but, yeah, common themes coming up again. But then the interesting one about protecting Scottish universities from the impact of Brexit to make sure they're open to all. So I guess the worry there is that after Brexit, if it happens, that we potentially are not as competitive, we're not getting as much research, we're not having as much investment. So, yeah, interesting. And again, not sure how it's going to be funded, but a, a good offer there, I would say, from the Scottish Liberal Democrats. I agree. Now let's let's go right to the top then, and let's look and see what the SNP are saying about education. I think I I find this will be an interesting uh, debate because they are currently in control of the of the levers that would be uh, making changes to education. Yeah, and, and have been for nine ten years. Yep, yeah, there are children that will have gone through their whole education. You know that in terms of. Um, gone through a whole primary school for instance with SNP at, at, at the helm um, yeah. and that's that will be an interesting place for them to, to see so let's what are, what are they saying about, about education at the moment? So their campaign points are invest $750 million to tackle the attainment gap between pupils from the least and most wealthy backgrounds so the PEF funding there yeah. um, give schools more freedom over the curriculum funding and staffing mm-hmm. I would recognise that as the empowerment of head teachers yeah. um, a fifth of students entering university to be from the 20% most deprived areas in Scotland by 2030 maintain free tuition 
at Scottish universities and expand childcare to up to 30 hours per week for all three and four-year-olds and vulnerable two-year-olds, saving families over £4,500 per year per child. Yeah, interesting. Again, very no, no surprises there from, no. from the SNP. Um, and actually, a lot of that is just sort of progressing forward with plans that, that are already We've in seen, place. Yeah, that already so let's take them one by one. Um, I think that just that that confirmation of the the attainment gap being very high in the agenda for them there, investing more money into that in terms of the People Equity Fund. I think that's, that's a really interesting point. And again, if no party is coming out saying that... Uh, they would get rid of it, it. That they want to get rid of it. And I think that's no. because it has become so part of the fabric of what people are doing now that, that I, I think schools wouldn't be able to imagine what they would do without it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, as I said earlier, that begs the question, we need to look at funding Yes. overall then. We don't we don't need to just tinker around the edges and, and give a wee pot of money here and there, actually we need to review how schools are funded. Definitely. And I guess there is a commitment in there to give schools more freedom over the curriculum, staffing, but crucially over funding. But what that looks like, will that be part of local authorities, which we've seen some of the rhetoric around that. Um, but yeah, I think there is a clear need for looking at funding. We've also heard, um, I think one of the other parties, asked for funding for additional support needs, that was Labour. Um, so it would be really interesting to see if the Scottish National Party take that on as well and look at funding because they've initiated the review of additional support needs. Yeah. Whether that features. And I think it's funny because when we're thinking about additional support needs and we're seeing more and more that adverse childhood experiences, which are obviously inseparable from deprivation and financial barriers. Do you know that in itself is causing additional support needs? We're seeing an awful lot yeah, of the time as well. Definitely. Obviously not exclusively, but that's they're massively intertwined and connected. So it's it'll be interesting to see where they fall on that and what they think about in terms of more funding for additional support needs because actually they have, as we as we rightly pointed out at the start, been in charge for the best part of a decade. Do you know? So yeah. it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how they how they tackle that and recognise that growing need of 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 more funding for for that. Definitely. And again, they're continuing their commitment to um, reducing the poverty related attainment gap by making a commitment that a fifth of students entering university will be from the 20% most deprived areas in Scotland by 2030. And that's quite an ambitious plan, which is good. Yeah. Um, again, how, how is that going to work? Don't know. No. Um, but I think you can't argue with that about making sure that young people from the most deprived areas have the same opportunities. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't think that's about letting them in because they don't have the qualifications. That's about providing them with the support and the tools to be able to access the same and as everyone else. Thing, so that's quite important. An interesting point about SNP policies, though, in terms of that point that you just said there, is that you can't argue with that, and you can, but I think it actually it's really important to try and get into that and be critical of really uh, sort of headline-grabbing policies. Like yes. That. 
and I think it's it's this is where um, because they are the party in power, especially in 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 Scotland, we need to really challenge that and actually start getting to the. But why are these goalposts moving? How are we actually addressing what you are doing at the moment? And I, I think I think that they would come under. Uh, quite a bit of scrutiny, and I think there's there's a lot of shaky ground there, is what I would be saying. And I would be, I think it is important their their investment in reducing the attainment gap. But I just I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that we're we're going about it in the best way possible at the moment. Um, so some key themes that are coming out from the election manifestos here are a commitment to childcare and early education and tackling these things early on, the kind of early intervention. I think that's fantastic, really, really good to see. Um, We're also seeing um, school funding coming up as a theme, aren't we? Yeah. Particularly around additional support needs and the pupil equity fund. Definitely. And I think that one of the, the the sort of other key themes that was coming up there was assessment and assessment at early stages specifically and opposition to that. Obviously, SNP were the ones that put that assessment forward, so there will be that part of the debate. Um, yeah. Labour and Liberal Democrats both sort of bringing that into their discussion there. So, um Lots to talk about. Obviously, there's still a huge amount to talk about uh, moving forward. It won't be that the, the the parties will be discussing Scottish education specifically in the debates, but it's, I think it's important to think about these in terms of what, what the parties are saying and what, what their policies are on that. Definitely. And I guess once more detail comes out, have a look into it, dig a wee bit deeper, because these things are so important that uh, they do have a, a an impact on our lives yeah. that we need to find out information about them. So would encourage you, once the manifestos are out, or to engage with your local um, candidates so that you get the answers that you need to make an informed decision when the election comes. And I would just, again, point out where we were going through these policies, and it's such a wonderful tool. So it's the BBC News website. There's a tab on there, Election 2019, and it's the who should I vote for. Then you can put it into the nation that you're in and also parties, or you can do all parties and you get a lot more detail. So please do go and have a look. It's definitely worth engaging with. So now on to our We Recommend section. And this features an interview that I um, did with Andrew Wright from the Salveson Mindroom Centre. So a really, really interesting, insightful discussion with Andrew Wright. Um, Look out for Salveson Mindroom Centre. It's a charity. They're on Twitter. They've got their own website. Um, But I'm sure you will enjoy this interview as much as I did interviewing Andrew. So I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Wright from the Salveson Mindroom Centre. That's right. Here in Edinburgh. Um, Andrew has joined us and he's going to hopefully share a wee bit more about what he does. So Andrew, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Um, What do you do? What do I do? (laughs) I 
I am running a project for the Salveson Mind Room Centre, which is working with young people with learning difficulties. I'll explain a bit more about why we use that terminology in a minute. Okay. Um, traditionally, Mind Room has supported families and other professionals who mm -hmm. work with young people with learning difficulties. Um, but more recently, we've expanded to working more directly with those young people. I'm working with young people who are in the transition from school through into the world of work. So spending time with the young people, establishing with them what their strengths are, what their passions are, and then using that information and that relationship to find them a meaningful work experience placement that will maybe help them as they think about what they want to do with their future career. Okay. And the Salveson Mind Room Centre, what is that? Where does it come from as an organisation? So it was, it was established as Mind Room um, by Sophie Dow. Um, she has a daughter who has a, a rare genetic condition which affected her learning. She was quite frustrated, I think, by the fact that it was really difficult to get the support she needed to navigate all the different support services that are out there and work out who to ask what. Okay. Um, and so Mindroom was established to support parents whose children have, and again I'll use the term, learning difficulties. Okay. Um, now the reason we use that term rather than just additional support needs is it's more specific. So Mindroom was established to work specifically with people who have neurodevelopmental conditions. So that's conditions that affect their learning which are brain-based, if you like. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think we've discussed this before, the importance of the language that we use. Yeah. In my world, as an educationalist, as yes. a teacher, I think of additional support needs, pupil support. It's all about support-based yeah. language that we're using. You're introducing me to some new terms that I don't hear that often in education, like neurodivergence... Yeah. It's not a term so I've come across before. They are becoming increasingly used in... Neurodiversity is a term which is becoming increasingly used in the world of work amongst enlightened employers. Okay. It's used a lot in research amongst um, those who are looking into what affects people's learning, what affects brain function, okay. if you like, and the way we process information. So in the same way that biodiversity is celebrated, because we've got biological diversity, basically. Neurodiversity is a recognition of the fact that we all think or process information differently. So neuro as in brain function, diverse as in very ranging, I suppose. In terms of difference, people in are In terms different. of difference. So it's a positive, it's a kind of, it's not, there's no value judgment in the term neurodiverse it's a celebration if you like of difference so to describe somebody as neurodivergent mm -hmm. would be to say the way they process information is not typical okay and that might be somebody who specifically is um, on the autistic spectrum they have an autistic spectrum mm -hmm. disorder um, they may have tick disorders maybe dyslexic uh, there may be dyspraxic, or the term that's increasingly used there is uh, coordination deficiency disorder, I think. No. Okay. Because I was just wanting Developmental to... coordination disorder. Um, but these are all... And ADHD as well, or ADD. These are all conditions which are 
rooted in the way the brain processes information. So I was just going to ask that question, how wide a sp- is it spectrum, is that yeah. the correct word we're yeah. using here? Because neurodivergence, if it's everything to do with the brain, surely everything that we do is related to our brain. So, so where does it stop yeah. and where, you know, so are there certain... Um, additional support needs or certain neurodivergent conditions? Is that the correct language? Yeah, so the con- that conditions is a positive, more positive way of putting it. The, the term that's used diagnostically uh-huh. is, um, what is it? Uh, is it disorder? Disorder, okay. you can edit that. So, <laughs> so, yeah, the term that's used... This is used, live. Yeah, the term that's used diagnostically, so they don't talk necessarily about an autistic spectrum condition, they refer to autistic spectrum disorders. Okay, that's and that's quite negative, the, the, the word disorder, disorder yeah. but even Many disability like as it. well. Yeah. Disability is a very negative it's, connotation, it's kind isn't of weighted, it? isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to talk about neurodiversity... It's yeah, really positive and about positive. celebrating It's It's kind difference. of... It's a neutral term, really. Mm-hmm. It okay. says you process information in a different way to the typical way. And we would say that a learning difficulty um, would describe somebody whose brain processes information in a way which is different enough that means they have additional challenges in in coordinating everyday life, if you okay. like. Um, whereas a learning disability would be a more extreme form okay. of that. So that would have somebody with a learning disability, you may think actually they are going to need support mm-hmm. throughout life. Learning difficulty is, is not as extreme as that. Okay. So with appropriate support and at the right time, you, you can leave a perfectly typical, normal... Okay. I don't like that language. Like, you can edit that bit out. <laughs> so in terms of your background, you're in quite a unique position because... I am. I think you've got quite an interesting background, oh, if you don't yeah. mind me saying. Yeah. <laughs> so I spend... You're, you're a former teacher. Yeah. Or would you describe yourself as a current teacher, well, former teacher? Some ways I'm... You're still a teacher. Yeah, I am still a teacher. You kind of... Yeah, like many professions, it just becomes part of who you are. Yeah. But I worked as a a primary school teacher for about 16 years. Uh Prior to that, I'd done work with preschool groups Mm -hmm. in uh, preschool play groups. Um, Subsequent to teaching, I have worked in hospitality, in office admin, and in working with children and young people and their families. So fairly... Diverse so in itself. You've got a diverse range of experiences yeah. that you're bringing to this. And that's helpful to this role, actually, because I've got the the teaching background and understanding of mm-hmm. the kind of pedagogy, if you like, um, but also experience of other forms of work. I've experience of being on the employer's side of the fence. Mm-hmm. So actually working with employers, working with young people, and finding a good match in terms of good experience to help mm-hmm. them work out where they want to go with their lives, possibly. I mean, nothing's set in stone. No. Um, but what they want might want their next steps to be. Um, yeah, I, I'm in a really good place to be able yeah. to do that. And then I just want to tap into, because I think one of the really interesting things for me is we're, we're sitting here in Edinburgh, in Scotland, quite a different education system 
to the one which you have worked in, which is yes, in England. Yes. Yeah. You've worked in the primary sector. A very different approach. I think Scotland... I mean, I've never worked in England, but I certainly feel that in Scotland we have a much... what feels like a much more inclusive approach. I said much more child-centred would be the kind of language that used to be used when I was teaching. Okay. Approach. And we've um, got, you know, getting it whole, right for every yeah. child. We've got national agendas like developing young workforce. We have um, inclusion and the presumption of mainstream as a yeah. kind of a general feel and for these our are vision. All really good things. Scotland's policies on the whole are outstanding. They're okay. really good. They're kind of taking us in the right direction. Alongside that, there is the reality of schools having to perform and show that they're performing. There are targets, there's you know, league tables and the threat mm -hmm. of such things. Which does influence the way people work and it does mean that people with additional support needs or learning difficulties, don't always have their needs met. They might be sidelined, they might be overlooked. Um, if that wasn't the case, there would be no need for an organisation like Mindroom, who've worked with thousands of children mm -hmm. um, since their inception, just after the year 2000, probably. Um, so parents are looking for support still to make sure their children actually get what they need to get the best out of the education system. And that's quite important, isn't it? Because that, that idea of inclusion, and I wouldn't sit here and say that we have it right in Scotland 100%. I think we're in a really positive place. I think we've got the policies, we've got people on the ground who want to make it work. Yep. But I think maybe the system that we have, the you know education probably hasn't changed that much since my granny was at school. Do you know, in terms of the way yeah. we approach yeah, a school, what a school yeah. looks like, how many periods you have in a day, yeah. you know, how many subjects. We've generally, it's quite static, really. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is what you're saying there is that if we got it right, organisations like Mindroom would not exist. And we, I mean, we're referring to Mindroom here, I would... Our official Salveson, name now sorry. is the Salverson Mandarin <laughs> Centre. Um, the Salverson family invested a huge amount of money into the charity, which has allowed us to expand the amount of work mm -hmm. we do in terms of direct help and support. Has also established a centre at the University of Edinburgh, the okay. SMC Centre for Research into Learning Difficulties. So our practice um, is very much influenced by current research okay. into, into what so is So rooted in on. research... I mean, working with the University of Edinburgh, yeah, fantastic. Like, can't get any better, yeah. can it? Um, and what I was going to ask you there was, what is what is the biggest challenge, do you think, around meeting the needs of young people with um, neurodiversity or neurodivergent issues? I guess one issue is appropriate training for the professionals who are working directly with them. Okay. So, um, you know, the majority of teachers are trained as general educationalists. Mm -hmm. um, they may have subject specialisms and a qualification to teach that subject. Mm -hmm. Secondary to that, an understanding of the way um, learning difficulties can affect the, the needs of young people 
is not always there in teacher training. So there's a real need I would for agree with that. additional mm -hmm. kind of support for the professionals. Totally agree. Like. And that's where an organisation like the Salveson Mind Dream Centre can help in providing that training mm -hmm. and support. And so actually, it's probably worth pointing out that we've actually featured on Edgy Blether before uh, a point to one of your really good resources. You've yeah. got a, a booklet it's that... Called, it takes all kinds of minds. Which is fantastic, yeah. and it explains from a, a health point of view, because I think you would aim that at hospital staff yeah. as well, um, but also education staff, about what it yeah. means for a young person who has dyslexia, for yeah. example. And the, the book is based on the real experience of five young people okay. who each tell their story, and then there are just some key bullet points for how to best support that young person or somebody similar to them. Uh, in the home situation, in the mm -hmm. school, in the hospital environment, and in a workplace. Mm -hmm. It's a really good resource. It's available on our website as well, actually, as individual downloads or as the full book. And there are now supporting videos to go alongside, which are absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Good stuff. And I just want to turn to, because um, you are a big supporter of EduBlether. Oh, and yes. more recently, you um, hosted an EduBlether live chat for us. I did. That was how, how fascinating. That go? My goodness. And what did you learn from that? I learned from that that it is very difficult <laughs> to kind of keep track of a, a relatively small number of people commenting and sharing thoughts on just four different topics that were posted up, questions that were posted over the course of the hour, of the hour. But what came across was a real desire to get it right okay. and to focus on the individual child and to build good relationships that allowed you to really understand that child's needs, which is a wonderful ideal to aim mm -hmm. for. Um, I guess our role at the Salvas and Mind Dream Centre is to help professionals get that right. And do you think we are getting that right? Not quite, not yet. Okay. And if you if you had one wish, and we've kind of touched on this a wee bit, what would it be? I mean, you mentioned training there for staff. What is is there a is there a something that's going to transform everything, or is it a chipping away? We've got the right policies in place. We just need to have more training. What is it? It's partly a chipping away, but it's also a changing mindset in approach within society mm -hmm. to those who are a little bit different from the norm. Mm -hmm. So um, celebrating the fact that people approach things differently, who people process information differently, um, and seeing that as a positive thing. And education, schools are a good place to start mm -hmm. that process where we can celebrate that actually, yeah, this person might not be very good at spelling, but look at how creative they are and what gifts they've got in this other area. I'm really focusing on positives. Fantastic. Well, Andrew, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on Edu Blether. My pleasure. Um, you can, of course, um, check out all the resources we've mentioned on your website, which yeah, is... Which is mindroom.org. Ooh, snappy, I like yeah. it. And you're on Twitter, you're on all the social media platforms, yes, yeah. I'm sure. All the links are there on the website. All the links will be there to the resources you've mentioned. Um, and also you would encourage um, professionals, parents, to get in touch if they need yeah, support. any support you need, any advice you need, um, all the contact details are there on the website. Fantastic. Andrew Wright from the Salveson Mind Dream Centre, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. 
Thanks for that, Andrew. That was incredibly interesting. Please do check out the Cells and Mind Room on Twitter. We'll put links to that in our show notes. So that's yeah, it at the end great. of another episode, Jace. Episode it 18. is. I know episode 18 we're at now. How did you feel on the phone? Yeah, I liked it. It's good. I think we're yeah, we're still able to have the same chat. Um, I just hope that the quality is okay, but we'll listen back and we'll do anything we need to or we can to try and improve it. Um, but I'm sure it'll be okay, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, Please let us know if our chemistry was somewhat less electric. <laughs> <laughs> Please just respond on Twitter. That would be helpful. Thank you so much. But remember, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at edublether is our handle. Um, that is where we do the lion's share of our posting. Um, we do have our website, edublether.wordpress.com. But as I say, Twitter is where you will find us blethering the most. Definitely. Thanks so much for your support and please rate us on your chosen podcasting app um, because it really does help get us um, known out there. And thanks very much. See you next time.